hoc um, episode for you uh, today. So we've just come off stage on the uh, AD Sustainability Leaders Forum and we were making use of uh, an app called Slido which we were um, inviting questions from our audience and I really poorly chaired the last session. We didn't get through any of those questions. So I have managed to pin down the, uh, the, the four panellists that we had for the session um, uh, for the discussion that we had around business leadership and what sustainability look, leadership looks like. So we're, we're still all sat on stage, everyone has left the auditorium, but I thought I'd keep you all for 10 minutes just to run through some of the most asked questions through this Slido app, or some of the most sort of popular questions um, that were voted for by the audience in the Slido app. Um, so just to introduce everyone, I would like to run through the panel, if you could introduce yourselves so that everyone knows who they're listening to, that would be very useful. So let's go in a clockwise uh, fashion, um, starting with you, Becky. My name is Becky Spate, I'm the Chief Executive of the Woodland Trust and that's a charity with a vision for a UK that's rich in native woods and trees for people and wildlife. Great. James? Hi, uh, James Pitcher, Director of Sustainability for Whitbread. Um, we won, run Premier Inn Hotels and our restaurant brands here in the UK. Jamie Quinn. Hello, uh, Jamie, the Responsible Business Director for NG. We provide energy services and regeneration across the UK. Yes, Rupert maitland Tilton, uh, Senior Director for Corporate Affairs and Sustainability for Kellogg Europe. Uh, hopefully you know our cereals and snacks. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah we will do, I'm sure. Um, and there are lots of questions for you, Rupert, as well, which I'll get onto in a moment. So the, the session we had, just to recap, we touched on a lot of areas of sustainable business. We looked at what it looks like from a kind of business perspective, what the kind of key traits are that you need to have as a business. Um, collaboration came up a lot, even with rivals on sustainability. I'm trying to remember all of the other slides. There was one on kind of the actual people within business and sustainability professionals and what traits they need, collaborating, motivating, driving engagement was a big part of the discussion. So all in all, we kind of rounded up what it means to be a sustainability leader. And a lot of the questions here are a little bit more specific, but all do still come under kind of sustainability leadership, per se. Um, the question here we had for you, Rupert, uh, was can Kellogg, I'll, I'll just I'll read it out exactly as it was worded, so, uh, can Kellogg disclose the source uh, supply of palm oil used in their products. Are you considering any alternatives? Yeah, it's a complex issue uh, and there is a complex answer to it and I'm not dodging the question because all of that information is actually on our website. It is under the kelloggcrr.com website uh, and I say that because I was reviewing it very recently and there's a good eight to ten pages of real deal detail of where our palm oil comes from. Okay. And I'll, should we just do a quick fire me and you, Rupert, because the next couple of were, sure. uh, was, there's a few aims for you as well. Rupert, if you need credibility to be a successful business leader in sustainability, how can younger professionals with less experience take on this role? Uh, in terms of credibility, it comes down to personal credibility. I think it, it's not only just having a passionate interest in it, but I, my, my counsel would be, my mentoring counsel would be, do something outside of work that builds your interest in sustainability. And I do mean that whether it's, it's food banks, homeless charities, because sustainability is not just about environment, it's also about societal as well. Um, it's immensely empowering if you bring in stories to the business of your own personal experience. Anybody can do that at any age. Yes, uh, James, you've got your hand up. Uh, you want to comment on this piece about younger professionals? Well, yeah, I, I suppose if I think back, if think of my own career path and where, what I've done to get here, I would, my, my encouragement would be don't be, afraid to, don't be afraid to be brave and move. So I've experienced lots of different sectors. That's given me a fantastic breadth of experience across retail, hospitality, the public sector, 
fast-moving consumer goods. And actually, what that's allowed me to do is to walk into or interviews in more for more senior jobs and have more stories to tell. Um, working in different sectors gives you different experiences, um, whether that's sort of different ways of working, budgets, things like that. So actually, um, as a young professional, if you are determined to sort of move on and upwards within your career, getting as much experience and as much business experience as you can um, is really important. Because a lot of the time these days, it's not it's not necessarily your technical knowledge and sustainability, but your how you apply that within the corporate world and your business skills. So the more of those skills you can get, the better. Mm. Very interesting that is. Almost a bit, I don't know if, why, but it feels almost a bit controversial. Sort of saying, you know, move roles to sort of make, work your way up the ladder rather than staying in one organisation, but. I guess, yeah, can I please the employers, but, yeah. sorry, Jamie, jump in. Yeah, can I respond to that? Because it's a really interesting point. I think um, getting a breadth of experience across sectors is absolutely essential. Yeah. But I'd also like to counter it in terms of, I think, um, uh, millennials coming into the working environment now um, do quite often do a year or maybe two years and then move on. And we're seeing those trends increase and increase. Mm. You know, the, the days whereby, um, you know, you're with a company for life mm. have, have, have absolutely uh, uh, reduced. Um, I think my message would be to a young person embarking on their career is that um, to be realistic about uh, timescales and how quickly you can achieve what you need to. Mm. So... To give you a real-life example, uh, I've been working in a big business for about 10 years, and probably only in the last two or three years, I've started to see the traction come from that initial investment of a seven years of, um, you know, lots of knockbacks, uh, resilience is required, but building trust and understanding and absolutely critically credibility within the organisation is not a short game. You need to be in it for the long term. And actually, if you do that, um, if you're lucky enough, you will see um, some real uh, fruit of that at the end of that journey. Yeah, I mean, we work with quite a lot of um, sustainability professionals, and I'm actually always very inspired by some of the younger sustainability professionals coming in and how much they uh, are building their knowledge base all the time. They're really reading around the subject. They really know, you know, I think partly because of obviously the rise of technology over the last 10 years, they really know their stuff. And that's fundamental to this profession. So actually, if you can build your value through being just a very knowledgeable kind of finger on the pulse kind of young professional, then I think actually the world's your oyster in that, this field. I'd like to build on learning. Um, I think it's really important. Keep reinventing yourself. Yeah. Keep learning. Um, and I would say to sustainability people, what's coming next? Uh, if you're not on top of AI, artificial intelligence, yeah. it's coming very fast to this area. Mm -hmm. Get on top of it. Learn all about it. Not because I know what the precise answers are, but literally that's part of my reinvention this year, uh, which is understand AI, because mm -hmm. that is probably going to be the next enabler in our in this whole area it's a huge um, enabler it's huge and it's not just about if you know we've got to be careful about the word sustainability professional you know people have to think as broad as they can because actually at the end of the day it's it's all very well being a subject matter expert on palm oil that's there's nothing clever about being a subject matter expert what's clever about being a subject matter expert is if you can drive change which mm. i think is coming back to your point <laughs> and and in, in, in my discussions with my guys i get i always get frustrated when you have a beautiful powerpoint presentation i go so what yeah. uh, um i love when there's a recommendation you stick that in front of somebody who's going to invest two million in it you go okay i can't argue with it let's mm. do it mm. um it, it's for me velocity of decision making yeah is one of my most important metrics in this space, mm. rather than the knowledge. You have to be able to apply the knowledge that redirects the company 
in a slightly different place. Because by doing that, you're actually driving change. Mm -hmm. Next question. Uh, how can we create more opportunities for women to become sustainable business leaders? Well, I don't. I don't think it's just a, an issue that's um, uh, prevalent in the world of sustainability. Unfortunately, mm. I think it's fundamentally unfair that my daughter at home is less likely to reach a position that I'm in than I am, just because she's female and I'm male. And I think that's a very sad state of affairs. I think there's a lot of good work happening in this area at the moment. So Whitbread is a, um, a member of the Thirty Percent Club, um, and we've uh, one of the one of the. Uh, founding members and founding corporates to have signed up to have 30% minimum representation of females at all levels of management within the business. Um, it's a stretch target, so once you've hit that level, you keep the target moving. 30% um, doesn't sound like a big number, but it's a fantastic start given where we are. Um, and the sad state of affairs that, that we find ourselves in, the fact that there are more men called Dave um, in the FTSE 100 than there are female CEOs. So I think, I think there is, there's a lot of good work happening in this area and businesses are embracing this, but setting those targets and having, those and, and having the confidence to do that um, is, is certainly a, a good step in the right direction. I think there's um, an, a, a number of discrete activities that can be undertaken by an organisation. So um, y yes, there are those s systemic issues. So I think... When you look at the gender pay gap which reporting, which has been a, a very positive thing, I think the fact that businesses are having to publicly disclose where they are, that started to drive a behaviour. If I look at my organisation, um, we have a pretty good representation at the top of the business, and we have a pretty good representation at the bottom of the business, but in terms of middle management, that's where we are struggling. And some of this is because... Um, you know, we have a lot of technical roles um, where we have engineers going out and fixing boilers and such like, which hasn't historically been an activity or career that a woman would want to take. So there are, there, there, there are guidance that can be taken around how we advertise the roles, the job descriptions, making sure they're gender neutral and they actually appeal and focus perhaps less on the technical but more on the managerial skills, which will um, appeal more to uh, 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 females as well as how do we govern this in the business. So we have a diversity inclusion panel. Yes, that has our HR director on, but it also has our CFO on it as well, because we've seen this as an issue around both retainment and also attraction of talent that we want to be representative of the communities in which we operate. Mm -hmm. And if you look at our business and you just see you know, white males in middle management, that's going to uh, limit not just the diversity in terms of gender, mm -hmm but the diversity in terms of thought, how people think, and that is one of the key differentiators of businesses of the, of the future. I, I think I'd do a couple of points on that. I think yeah, there's sort of three or four different points. I think firstly, we've tried to do it in such a way that on the final slated interview, there is a fair split between men and women. So at the final interview, you've got as many men and women on there. So at least you can force in the recruitment process you can, you can drive it in such a way that everybody has a fair go mm -hmm. uh, at final interview, that's the first point. I think the second point is, um, broadly in, in the sort of the younger cohort within the organization, it's a pretty even split for us. Uh, you know, it, it, gender split for us is not really a big problem for us in Kellogg. I was at a, a thing the other two days ago in our Manchester office, 75% of the people in the audience were actually women there you know, in terms of, I suppose, male-female. It's what happens as you roll through and literally, and it is this issue around maternity leave coming back into the workplace. Absolutely. Because the issue then becomes, 
um, the, the woman who's gone off on maternity leave, the people competing for her job and for the promotion, guess what? They're still in the business. And so you're not actually stopping that person from competing for it, but the competition for that future role has been taken up by somebody who's still there. And, and so I think, you know, women going off on maternity leave, how do you... It's not just protecting the role they're coming back to, but how do you protect the progression, the speed of the progression of their career? It's very, very difficult to do. So that's the second point. I think um, technology now is immensely important for us in terms of flexibility of working. You know, whether it's male or female, you've got to go to, you know, pick up the kids because they're sick. You know, you had a tough time there. You've got to work at home. Kids work at home. You can use the technology now with trust so that literally people can run their lives the way they actually sort of want to do it. The final point on diversity is really, really important because I feel really strongly about this. Mm. Diversity in the workplace does not just equal a balance between men and women. You know, what about all the, you know, the ethnic minorities, gender, disability, all this sort of stuff. And, I, you know, and I've had this conversation, I've, I, I, I feel strongly that just saying that we've hit our diversity, we're now 50-50 diversity on the basis we have equal men and women, you're actually missing an awful lot of the other diversity elements as well. Um, and so I think we need to be clear about you know, the direction of travel on diversity. I think you know, you know, the split between men and women is the most obvious one to get to in the first place. And I remember recently, because I was in plaster for four months, hobbling around the office on crutches, um, everybody said, brand new modern office, a nightmare to get around on crutches. Mm. Um, you know, and yet, so I was, I was, I was disabled in inverted commas for four months. Um, you know, what about when I was giving myself injections every day? Where did I get, you know, sharp? All these very, very little things, but they are important from a truly diverse perspective. So I think, you know, diversity is um, absolutely by, you know, we've got to get the gender balance right, but let's not think we've cracked it just because we've got a fair split on 50-50. Yeah, I completely concur with that. I think it's about richness of thinking, isn't it? Yeah, and richness exactly. of decision making. Yeah, yeah. And therefore the richer mix you've got, the better decisions you're making. Yeah. I think, you know, two, two fundamental things really. One is absolutely it's the childcare issue. And I think that's a, that's a societal issue as much as it is a corporate issue. Mm. And that will change. And that mm. will change, I think, quite rapidly now. I think there's a bit of a, um, a, a tsunami maybe coming towards us in terms of women kind of rising up the ranks as well. I was very interested in the survey results you shared, Luke, and looking at the, 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 you know, the, the way in which collaborative working and kind of knowledge sharing was a really important trait in terms of sustainability professionals succeeding and leadership. And, and I think that you know, there are all sorts of kind of, um, there's lots of rubbish written about kind of you know, gender styles of leadership, but definitely one of them is that women do tend towards being more collaborative. And I think so. I think that those kind of um, inherent skill sets are coming through and are, and are wanted as well. Um, and I was impressed by how many young women there were in the audience yeah. here today. So there's absolutely a bedrock of, um, of professionals coming through. It's just about making sure that that kind of flexible working, which I think, again, is going to change very rapidly now, is going to really enable that to happen. Well, I'm aware that the coffees are still being served outside, but only for the next few minutes, and I want to let you all uh, off the hook finally and, and go and enjoy a coffee. I know this, really appreciate you spending the time, extra time here for this kind of mini podcast episode. It has been a bit disconcerting talking to an empty audience, but uh, I'm sure this will be pleasing for our, for our listeners at home. So um, to Becky, to James, to Jamie, and to Rupert, thank you all very much for joining us for this mini episode of the Sustainable Business Cover podcast. Um, and the survey that Becky mentioned, I'll include a link See you again soon uh, for the next episode of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.